Good morning. It's so good to see all of you again. You know, all of us are searching for happiness. All of us are searching for love. And we are so desperate for peace. So, but so often, we look to the wrong place. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that He has come so that we could have life and life to the fullness. Or in some cases, or some you know, translations say, life abundant. What does it mean to live our life to the fullness? Does it mean that once you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, that everything will be great, there'll be no suffering, no pain, and that whatever you wish, that God will grant to you? What does Jesus and abundant life got to do with one another? What does Jesus have to say about how we should live? Today we'll look at what Jesus has to say about this matter as we continue in our series on Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 27. Before I preach on the topic, Christ-centered living, aligning our concerns with God's concerns. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concern of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their souls? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Before we start, let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you help us to understand and how what it means you know, to live for you, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to live a Christ-centered life so that Jesus is glorified in our lives and help us to align our concern to those of our God, our Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From that time on, speaks of a new chapter, a new phase in Jesus' ministry. Before that, Jesus went about teaching and healing. Previously in Matthew, we read about how Jesus taught some of the greatest teaching ever. You know, the Sermon on the Mount is regarded as one of the best teaching ever. And often, um, we also read about great miracles, including all sorts of healings. 
driving out demons and calming the storm and feeding of the 5,000 and in, on another occasion, 4,000. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, just before our passage today, Jesus charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Why did he do that? One of the reasons is the timing of his death is not right yet. You see, everything that's prophesied about Jesus must be true and must come to pass. And the second reason is because they did not, the disciples, that is, did not have a complete picture of who Jesus is. They, think, they thought of Jesus as some kind of a, like King David, you know, a mighty warrior, a ruler of the land, and someone who is going to you know, get the, uh, the Romans, the oppressive Romans, out of their land and start a new kingdom. But that's not what Jesus came to do. In verse 21, Jesus says, as Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter did not like what he was hearing. He did not give up his whole life to follow someone who is going to die just like that. He wanted Jesus, again, to be someone like you know, King David or Alexander the Great type of leaders. So he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Often we have erroneous thinking like that of uh, you know, Peter. We think of God as our tokopedia or as an ATM or as a genie, you know, whatever we want. You know, God will give it to us. And hope that, uh, and many times too, we hope that He would do, let us do our own stuff and not bother too much with us. Like Peter, we are concerned about our own things and not the things of God. Thoughts like this displeases Jesus. And so He said to Peter, Go behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus then went on to instruct his disciples on the importance of seeking God's concern and how they should align their concern with God's concern. This is the essential of how we should live our Christian life as the followers of Jesus Christ. Most people live a self-centered life. This is true even for many who have been attending church for many, many years. We wish to be our own boss. We do not want anyone to tell us what to do and how we should live our life, how we should behave. Do you agree with me? Jesus says that whoever wants to be his disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross, and to follow him. Let's see what that entails. Denying oneself, what does it mean? Jesus could have all the adoration of the world. I mean, you think about it, you know, he's a great teacher. He heals all kinds of sickness. He casts out demons. He could control nature and he could, and he could cause things to multiply and able to feed thousands. You know, he could be the greatest superstar this earth has ever seen. But yet, he denied himself and became obedient to God 
and took up his cross and obedient to God even unto death. Denying ourselves is not a debasement of ourselves. It is not giving up the personalities that God has given as he created us. It is what is described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. That is denying ourselves, putting God and others ahead of us. The Christian life involves the challenge of daily denial. The world thinks that the way to live is to deny yourself nothing. Jesus says that the opposite is true. The way to life is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. What does it mean to take up our cross? We often hear people refer to the cross as someone or something. They would say that their boss is their cross or even bad marriages or when something or some trials or some uh, uh, suffering hits them, they say that they are bearing their cross. Let me ask you to close your eyes for a second and think about a man who is dying on a cross. What do you see? You see opposition and you see persecution. Hanging on the cross with nails on his hands and his feet, you see extreme suffering. The cross of, and finally, you see death. The cross in the Roman time speaks of persecution, shame, suffering, and death. When Jesus asked his disciples to take up the cross, he's asking them to crucify their old nature, the one that prioritized the cares of this world the one that concern is for themselves. We must oppose and persecute it and replace it with a spirit-filled nature that is concerned with the things of God, a Christ-centered nature. Just as Jesus went to the cross, we too must take up our cross and follow him. Why do we do that? Why should we want to give up our old ways of living for something that includes obedience, submission, suffering, and in some cases, even death. I've been following Jesus for more than 43 years now. Sometimes faithfully, sometimes not so. But throughout this time, I learned the following, that obedience to God's principle not only glorifies God, but is ultimately what is good for us. Let me repeat that. Obedience to God's principles not only glorifies God, but is ultimately what is best for us. In this context, alignment with God's concern is glorifying to God and is ultimately best for us. What Jesus commands his disciples is counterintuitive, but it is what is best for us. How is that so? Jesus warned his disciples that whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. He's not asking them to die, period. He's asking them to replace what they have with something better. However, to do that, one needs to put to death 
the old things first, the old nature first. Losing one life can be at two levels. One involves losing our old nature and gain something which is new and better. It is like trading you know, our old gadgets, something that doesn't work, with something that is able to do you know, whatever is needed, something which is, which is, you know, uh, is, is, is great. Yeah? And so we often think that what we have now is the best. My friend, Jesus has something much, much better. It is so true what the Bible says. No eyes has seen and no ears has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me give you a few examples. One, our identity. You know, many of us, we, our identity could be our work. You know, we often ask people, what do you do? And so our work gives us you know, pride, gives us position. Then what happens when we lose our job? So often we suffer identity crisis. I've seen many people with high-powered jobs. And so when they lost their jobs, what happened? They suffer from what they call post-power syndrome. Others take pride in their look. However, as we get older, we'll never be able to look like when we are in our 20s. And others look to their strength and vitality. And also fame and influence are also transient. Here today and gone tomorrow. For those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we get adopted into God's family. Our identity now is as children of the Most High, sons and daughters of the living God. That never changed and He will always be our Father, our everlasting Father, regardless of what sort of work that we do, whether we are successful or we or not in our career. He is our everlasting Father, regardless of how the world regards us, love or despise. He will always be our everlasting Father, regardless of what situation we find ourselves in. Our new identity in Christ is definitely much better than our old ones. Second is our purpose. Most people live to get rich, to be famous, or to accumulate power. King Solomon, one of the greatest, I mean, the richest man who ever lived, a king who has lots of power, this is what he's, he concludes, that all these things that we mentioned above are meaningless, like grass and flowers of the fields, here today and gone tomorrow. King David described our life as a mist and as an evening shadow. Instead of this, God has given us a new purpose, that of his children, you know, to be the light and salt to this world, to be his ambassador, to follow and to obey him. He instructed us to choose spirit-filled life over worldly life that cannot satisfy. That is another advantage that our new nature has over the old one. It gives us a Christ-centered purpose. We can now live a purpose-driven life. Number three is, who is leading you? In my old life, it was led by Suparno. 
But Suparno is self-centered. He is proud and make bad decisions out of selfish ambitions and conceitedness. His decision displeases God and will lead to death. Suparno is a weak leader and does not know the, what the future holds and has in store. Jesus instructed me to crucify the old Suparno and replace it with his spirit-led new nature, one that will give birth to the new Suparno. The new Suparno who aligned his life with God's concern and who will seek to glorify God. Instead of being led by a self-centered person, I'm now led by Jesus, someone who loves me so much that he sacrificed himself for me and died for me. Putting to death my old nature and replacing it with a new nature. A spirit-filled nature is definitely the better way to live. It is true then that whoever wants their life to uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The second way to align our concern with God is to choose life over death. Because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, we can now have eternal life with Him. Again, it makes a lot of sense for someone to lose their short, brief life that is filled with sin, pain, suffering, and eventual death for an eternal life with Christ in a place where the, there'll be no more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. An eternity of joy with the Lord. That's why Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but yet forfeit his soul? We have to heed this warning very carefully. The actor Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dream of so that they can see that it is not the answer. Even the wealthiest multi-million billionaire now owns only a proportion of the world. The richest man, what, he's worth, what, 175 billion? And if we look at the world's GDP as a whole is $87 trillion. Jesus warns us that if we are tempted to set up in that direction, even if we top their success and gain the whole world, we will still totally waste our life and forfeit our souls. He says the way to find life is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. The Bible speaks of a rich young ruler who asked Jesus, what else must he do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. The truth is that Jesus gave the truth that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler is one out of love. This is because Jesus knew that money and wealth is just temporal. Money can't fulfill the biggest needs of men. That is to be made right with God. In fact, money can be a distraction to God's to, to man's path to God. 
just as shown here in this example of the rich young ruler, it could lead to independence and the feeling that we do not need God, that money is more important. It could lead to arrogance and entitlement. First Timothy 6.10 said, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. The rich young ruler needs to think like a trapeze. You know, he needs to let go of his handle of the love for money so that he can reach out to something, so that by reaching out to something else, he can go to the next level. He can go to the path that God wants him to go. So we need to let go in order to get something better. None of us have anything that we can give in exchange for our soul. After all, we give. What can one give to the creator of heaven and earth? And whom has created us himself? Only God can give in exchange for our soul. Jesus could have the whole world. Instead, he counted all of this as not worthy and became obedient following the will of his Father by dying for us. He redeemed our soul. His completed work makes it possible for us to save our soul. Why did he do that? Jesus was obedient to God the Father and he regards us as more valuable than all the riches of the world. Jesus' death on the cross also brought out the truth of what he has said earlier, that whoever loses his life and, uh, for, for God will find it. Because three days after Jesus' death, God resurrected Jesus from the dead. And because he lived, I too have this living hope of eternity with Christ. So even though denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus may result in persecution and suffering, it is ultimately for our own good. There's just no other ways to live our life. We cannot go back to our old lives. We are like Jesus' disciples who said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. John 6, verse 68, 69. If we indeed understand the love and sacrifice he has for us by going to the cross and dying for us, we should deny ourselves and take up our cross, and I believe that would not be a problem. We would be like Paul who considered all the worldly riches and possession that he has as garbage in order to gain Christ. Our passage continues with verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Life is not a dot, but a line, an eternal life that goes on forever. You see, once we are dead, what happened? We live on, okay? And so if life is just a dot of, what, 60, 80 years, 
may be living life, eating, drinking, and be merry could be the sensible way to live this life. However, the Bible is clear that after this life, there'll be a time when everyone will be accountable for their action. Hebrew 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You see, God is a just God. We sin many outrageous, outrageous deeds and so much injustice done by those that are evil. And if they are not punished, where is justice? The Bible is also very clear that Jesus will be the one that will be the judge. All of us will have to give an account of our life to Jesus. There are two, level, two types of judgments. One is whether you'll be with Jesus in heaven or be condemned in hell. This will depend on whether you have faith and whether you have repented of your sin and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour. All that believe in the Lord will be with the Lord in heaven, and those that rejected Jesus will be condemned to eternity in hell. Another judgment is that of the rewards of the sin. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 to 15, it reads that each man's work will become manifest, for they will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survive, he will receive a, a, a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer losses, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So you see, at the end of our life, when we appear with Jesus at the final judgment, the things that we do, all will be tested by fire. And if it's built upon the principle, the foundation of Jesus, it will survive. But if anything which is done based on our own deeds, on our own selfishness, our own ambitions, all those things, when tested, will be burned up and will suffer loss. Although it says here that he, we ourselves will be saved. So those that are faithful with much will receive much reward. In light of this, what shall we do? Second Corinthians verse 4, 18, exhort us to look to the things that are seen for their transient. Exhort us not, sorry, not to look to the things that are seen as their transient, but to focus on the things which is unseen for they are eternal. The things of this world, even though they are real, they are just temporal. I once give this illustration to the youth at Verity. I mentioned about a man who has been given an assignment to go to a foreign land, you know, to spread some news about something to the people there. And he was given seven days to do that. And so the first day he arrived, it was already night, so he checked into the hotel and he slept in the hotel except that he was not used to the bed. And so the next day when he woke up, 
what he did was he said this bed is no good. Let's just replace this bed with some something that is better. And so he replaces the bed. And after he replaced the bed, he, he said, oh, I need to buy bed sheets. I need to buy a new pillow and so forth. And after that, he looked around and said, well, the nightstand doesn't fit. And so he got, he got all those things changed. And then he got the carpet changed. And that took him about two days. After that, he looked around. He said, well, actually, this room is just too small. Why don't we knock down the wall and make this room bigger and better? And so they knocked down the wall. And after that, he thought about it. He said, well, actually, now that the room is bigger, the TV appears to be so small. And so he replaced with a brand new big TV. And after that, the sound system somehow doesn't fit with the TV. And so he changed the sound system. Actually, halfway when I was talking about that, the youth, they were saying, this is silly. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we all know that that is silly. But that's, uh, sometimes we live our life that way. You know, we live our life thinking that just as the man in the hotel, even though it's just temporal, we feel that this world is, is permanent. And the way we live, it, it appears that we do not know that there is another place where we'll be living for eternity. And so what is even worse is this. You know, seven days comes, arrive, and the man has to go back and to do a report to his boss. And so what do you think will happen when he meet his boss? Did he had you know, done what he was sent out to do? You know, all of us will have to give a report to our boss when we see him. It will determine how and what sort of reward that we will get. So how we live our life is important. Something that has been gaining a stronghold among Christians is the prosperity message. It is very attractive to many people because it promises many things, such as wealth and health to its listener. However, after we've gone through today's passage, we realize that the prosperity message and Jesus' instruction to us is very, very different. The prosperity message is erroneous and it is a very dangerous teaching. What is the prosperity theology? Prosperity theology, or sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the gospel of success, or seed faith, it's a religious belief among some Christians that financial blessings and physical well-beings are always the will of God for them and that faith, positive speech and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. They teach that good news of the Bible is that God wants us to prosper here on this earth. They teach that Jesus Christ it's all about prosperity, our prosperity here and now. If you suffer, it is because you don't have enough faith. If you trust God enough, you can name whatever blessings you want and he will give it to you. This is very different from Jesus' instruction of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and follow him. Let's look at some of the differences. 
Prosperity gospel is about us and what God can do for us. It focuses on wealth and health, things that are temporal and perishable. Jesus' instruction is for us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Jesus also instructs us to seek first his kingdom and not to worry about these things. Why? Because he will take care of us. Prosperity gospel emphasize the present and living our life for now, just like the guy in the hotel room story. It encouraged a love for the things of this world. Jesus reminds us to live for him now and have the best life when? In eternity. Mankind, second, mankind's greatest problem is still that of sin. The problem that separates us from God and without addressing it, we will never be able to have peace and reconciliation with God. That is what we should be focusing on and not be distracted by pursuing the things that are perishable and that could distort the reality of sin. Number three, prosperity gospel diminishes the centrality of the gospel and the complete work of Jesus by adding things like wealth and health to it. The purpose is to get something from Jesus. Instead, we should be celebrating the complete work of Jesus. We should acknowledge that Jesus is our sufficiency. When we have Jesus, we do not need anything more. We have enough. Christ alone is enough. There's no need for plus plus or anything else. We should seek to get Jesus himself and not what Jesus can get for us. Number four, by using God to get what we want, we dishonor him and the gift becomes an idol as it takes precedent over the giver. When we seek and treasure the gift more than God, God is not glorified and God should be glorified for who he is. Prosperity gospel diminishes God. Wealth in itself is not a bad thing. We just need to use it wisely and to use it to glorify the Lord. Pastor Rick Warren make a lot of money from his book, The Purpose Driven Life. But instead of the, the, the wealth being a distraction to him, he used it to glorify God. He used it to donate and give it to the kingdom so that God is fully glorified. In summary, how do we align our concern with those of God? The present is very important. How we live determines our future. So one, we should live for Christ and not for self. Second, we should crucify our old nature to strengthen our spirit-filled nature. And third, we should strive not for temporal and perishable things, but for things eternal. And number four, we should choose life over death. In conclusion, let me suggest a simple way to follow Jesus. That is, we should focus on him and keep looking to Jesus. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him is tough. To be successful in doing that, we need to be continuously 
looking to Jesus, our supreme example. We need to be reading and meditating on the Bible because the Bible is his story. It talks about Jesus. It is centered upon Jesus. We need to be praying and communicating with Jesus, with, the, with God all the time without ceasing. We need to be remembering him you know, throughout our lives. And how do we remember him? We remember him by fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters, by going to church, by participating in the Holy Communion. Remember, at the Holy Communion it says, do this in remembrance of me. So we need to participate in activities that helps us to remember the Lord. I will conclude by reading Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. It says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we know that this teaching of Jesus is radical and revolutionary. It is exactly the opposite of what we are used to and what the world is telling us how we should live our life. But yet, Father, we know that it works in practice because you who love us tells us to do that. Jesus, who sacrificed for us, who died for us, tells us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, that we would do this so that we do not end up disillusioned and being dissatisfied, having wasted our life but that we'll follow Jesus' teaching and we'll find life in all its fullness. Thank you, Father. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will help us so that as we focus upon our Lord Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we'll be able to also share of his goodness for us so that, Lord, our desire is to see Jesus lifted up, to see that, every knee and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.